0: of the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have a eternal life for God did not send the son into the world to judge the world but that the world might be saved through him he who believes in him is not judged he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God this is the judgment That the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Let's pray. Lord, I'm just so grateful for being here today, God, with your people Lord, getting into your word, it is life and it is light to us. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and just make it real. Lord, that you would reveal everything that you are trying to to show us and say to us this morning. And uh, Lord, I just want to lift all those who are sick in our body this morning. Lord, I know there are so many uh, just going through. It's not only COVID, but all kinds of other things that are just spreading. So Lord, I pray that you would just step in right now. Lord, comfort them, heal them. Uh, Lord, get us through this quickly. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So I've never really been big on making New Year's resolutions. It's not that I think they're wrong or, or I'm against them in any way, uh, nor is it does it mean that I don't set personal goals for myself. I've just never done that as part of the, you know, New Year's resolution craze or anything like that. But one thing that I do pretty much every year as one year begins to draw to an end, I just make more of an effort to seek the Lord and and try to hear him for what he may be saying to all of us as we begin a new year. And when I do that, it's almost always listening for something for for us as the church as a whole. What is God saying to us as a church? What does he want us to know going into this new year? What can we expect? Where is he leading? I'm always listening more for a corporate word than I am for a personal word. And one of the reasons for that, aside from it you know, my role here, that it's my primary responsibility to kind of set the direction for the church, it also goes right along with my personality, because the way that God wired me, I'm more of a vision, big picture guy than I am a detail guy, and just like with any strength or gift that we have, along with the benefits that come with those, there can also be some negative aspects as well. I mean, we all know that our greatest strengths, if, if not used properly, can quickly become our greatest weakness. And so part of that weakness for me is that I often fail to, as they say, stop and smell the roses. I can get so focused on looking ahead at something that I miss what's going on immediately around me, so focused on reaching a destination that I sometimes have trouble just enjoying the journey. Just ask anybody in my family how this plays out when we go on vacation together. I mean, unless somebody's about to have a messy accident in the car, we ain't stopping for nothing. You know, we got somewhere to get by God. Carol, my wife is the exact opposite of that. And so you can imagine the conflict that has arisen because of the differences in those two personalities. I mean, we're driving down the road, and she's like, oh, look at those flowers. Let's stop and pick some. Or look at those cows. Let's stop and take a picture together. I'm like, cows? We live in Texas, woman. We don't need another picture of a dang cow. But to her, see, it's not about a cow at all or anything like that. It's more about creating a memory and just enjoying the moment together, because that's the way she is wired, and we both balance each other out in that way. If it was only up to her to get us there, we may never get there. But if it was only up to me, we'd get there in record time, but everybody would be miserable and hating each other by the end of the trip. And so I need her to remind me to every once in a while just stop, and let's enjoy this thing and take our time. And she needs me to every once in a while say, yes, we can stop, but how about not every single photo op we see? You know, we, we've got to be somewhere. And so all that is to say that I can get so focused on the bigger picture, listening to God for the whole church, that I can sometimes fail to hear God for myself. And what he's saying to me personally. And if I do that long enough, that's, that's unhealthy. I mean, I will start to lose my joy and, and burnout could begin to set in pretty quick. But as I was seeking the Lord for this new year in 2022, th- this is something that he brought to my attention. That, that I, I needed to not do that. I mean, I was having trouble hearing uh, something for the church. When I finally realized the Holy Spirit was saying, how about you just listen for what I'm saying to you? Just forget about something for everybody and just listen to what I have for you. And so I submitted to that, and lo and behold, I began to hear him. And what I did hear for me, I also then realized was for the church. I just needed to hear it first and and, and learn from God and how it applied to me personally first before I even presented it as something for the whole church, and I believe that God confirmed that through danny 's message last week because i hadn 't really talked a lot about this with him, yet his message last week went right along with the things that i 'd been been hearing and one of the things that just kept coming to my mind was uh, uh, something that I believe Danny mentioned last week it 's that prayer that david prayed in verse 13 of Psalm 139 where he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. And so it was that phrase, search me, O God, search me, O God, that just kept coming to my mind. I just kept hearing that over and over. You know, as most of you know, there are three stages to the Christian life. The first one is what we call justification. That's what happens the moment that you are saved and you go uh, from being what, what the Bible calls the old self to the new self. You become a new creature forever. The second stage is sanctification, which is just a fancy word for spiritual maturity. It is that stage where God is molding us more and more into the image of Christ which simply means making us more into the kind of humans that he originally created humans to be. And then the third stage is glorification. That's what happens either when you die or Jesus returns, whichever comes first. Now, that first and third stage, those are all God's doing. We play no part whatsoever in justification or glorification. That is all God. But that second stage, that spiritual growth part, is something that that we can take part in. There are choices that we make that will either enhance or inhibit our spiritual growth. Choices that we make that can keep us from experiencing the abundant life that Jesus said he came to give. And so for us to grow into that, into looking more like Christ, it requires the removal of things that don't look like him. The Holy Spirit is the one that reveals these things to us, but it is up to us whether or not we are going to choose to acknowledge whatever it is he is showing us, and then whether or not we are going to submit and let him remove those things. We can refuse to acknowledge them, And we can just continue to hold on to them, and when we do, it's going to hinder our growth and keep us from experiencing the fullness of joy that he intends his people to live in. And this leads to another thing that just kept coming to my mind as I was hearing the Lord. There was this one word that just kept popping up into my head, and it's the word used for the title of this message today, and that word was Exposed. And I took that as God's saying, along with Search Me, O God, that that he just wanted to expose some things in in my heart this year that don't align with who I am in him. And as I've been leaning into that, I've learned, you know, so much about it and and how he has shown me that that it means so much more than just he's going to point out the bad things in me. Because here's the deal, just by putting that word exposed into my mind, he was then exposing some deeper things that I wasn't even aware of. And so I'm going to share some of this with you today in the hopes that it may expose some things that you weren't aware of as well. Okay, so think about that word for just a minute. What kind of thoughts or emotions come up when you hear the word exposed? Or when you saw that that was the title of the message today. I was sitting next to my daughter Hope just a minute ago and she looked down at it and she goes, oh, that's a fun title. <laughs> so, so, so what is that? What comes up in that? I mean, if God were to say to you, I'm going to expose some things in your heart, how would you respond? Well, most of us would probably go, oh, no. And that right there exposes something in us. It causes something to come up that God's wanting to highlight. And here's what God was teaching me, which is a whole point of this message today. What I'm about to say is what we call the sermon statement. It is one statement that everything else in the message is built around. And it's the first thing there in your notes. So here it is. You ready? I hope this hits you the way that it did me when I first heard it. When God exposes something in your heart, if that isn't good news to you, then you've believed in a shallow gospel. When God exposes something in your heart, if that isn't good news to you, then you've believed in a shallow gospel. If it's not good news, then the reason why it's not good news is something that God is trying to bring out and expose there. So, so let's flesh that out and, and what that actually means. Look at the text in John 3 again there, verse 20 and 21. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. So first of all, we got established what's the light he's talking about there, or who's the light? Well, it's Jesus. I mean, back in verse 4 of chapter 1, he says, in him, talking about Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus said himself in John eight twelve, I am the light of the world. So the light is Jesus. Okay, so what does light do? It enables us to see things that we wouldn't be able to without it. It exposes things. If you come into the light of Jesus, you are going to be made aware of things that you did not realize without him. I mean, we just sang a song about this, how how this was illustrated in Isaiah chapter 6, when he found himself before the throne of God and the glory, the light of God's glory shining on him in his holiness. His first reaction was, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. He said, I'm ruined. These things were exposed when he came into the light of God's glory and holiness, And so again, was that good news or bad? Verse 21 says, he who practices the truth comes to the light. I find that interesting because it doesn't say he is brought to the light. It doesn't say he was dragged kicking and screaming into the light. No, it says he comes. It's like they are wanting to do this. Well, why in the world would someone want to come into something that's going to expose them like that? I mean, if we think it's going to be difficult and painful and bring shame and condemnation, why would anyone want to just come into that on their own? Well, the key is the first part of that. He who practices truth. Truth about what? Truth about who God is. What he is like. Truth about the gospel. If you know the truth of those things, you will want To come into the light. So that then means that if you don't want to come to the light, if you are afraid of being exposed, then you are believing something about God and something about the gospel that simply is not true. For many of us, the thought of being exposed is not good news because we believe things like God's going to be mad at me, I'm going to be embarrassed, I'm going to be ashamed, I'm going to get punished, etc. And none of that is true about God or the gospel. God never wants to just shame and embarrass us. What is true is that he is for you and not against you. What is true is that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He wants you to live in the fullness of who he created you to be. The truth is that him exposing things in us is not an act of his judgment or condemnation. It is an act of his love. The love that a father has for his children. Now I thought about how when my kids were real little they'd sometimes complain about something hurting in their foot. And so they'd come to me limping or or hopping on one foot, trying not to put any weight on the one that's hurting or simply just sitting in the middle of the floor crying because they didn't want to walk at all. And I'd say, well, let's see if we can figure out what's causing this and show me where it hurts. And they'd point to it and so that I would either get a flashlight or a lamp that was nearby and bring it over in order to shine light onto the situation to see what's causing this. And more often than not, it was usually a splinter that worked itself in there. And so I'd pull it out, and they'd be right back on their way again. And that's how God is with us with, about things in our heart. You know, usually our fear of being exposed, or if we think that's bad news, it's the fear that somebody is going to know what we did. Or if it's something that we've been continually struggling with, something that we have been doing found out but another truth about God is that he doesn't he's not interested in exposing what you've done as much as he is exposing the reason for why you were doing it in the first place I mean we know what we do right do we need anybody to tell us that no we are very aware of everything that we do What we don't know and what we need to know is why we are doing them. What is the root cause of why I'm doing this in the first place? I mean, take my kids again. If I saw them limping or or hopping on one foot because their other one was hurting, there's something going on there, I wouldn't say, hey, you're walking funny. Stop doing that. You're not going to get very far walking like that. Do you know how silly you look? No, they don't need me to point out what they're doing. They're very well aware of that. They need me to... Point out why, figure out why they're walking like that and fix it. So the thing is many of you know what you're doing, you don't want to do it and you can try your best just to stop on your own, just just stop doing it. And if you do that, one of two things is going to happen you're either going to not be able to quit for very long or If that root issue of why you're doing it isn't addressed, there's going to be some other negative behavior that's going to pop up that's a result of that same root heart issue. God's after your heart a whole lot more than he's after your behavior, and that's because he knows that what we do on the outside is a reflection and a result of what's going on on the inside in our heart. And so that's what he wants to change, knowing that the behavior will take care of itself afterward. So why should the exposure of things in our heart be good news? Well, there's a story in the Old Testament. That's one of my all-time favorites, and it illustrates what I'm talking about and is one of the most beautiful pictures of the gospel in the whole Bible. So turn back to 2 Samuel chapter 9 for just a minute. This is a story of David and Mephibosheth, which I've Preached on before, and when I did, the whole story served as the basis for a series that we did on on shame. But I want us to look at it this time in light of of what I'm talking about today. Poor Mephibosheth had the most unfortunate name and the most frustrating for pastors, too. I wish it was something else because his name's mentioned a lot in this whole story. It's like God's going, Watch this. I'm going to put this name in there and just keep repeating it all through the story and just getting a laugh out of every preacher that tries to read this. Because after a while you start tripping over it. So if I do, you'll forgive me. So, see, right (laughs) off the bat. (laughs) Mephibosheth was the grandson, a grandson of King Saul. His dad was Jonathan, Saul's son, who was also David's best friend. When word came that Saul and Jonathan had died, Mephibosheth was five years old. And so his nurse took him and ran, put him in hiding. And as they were running, they fell. And he got injured somehow to where it made him a cripple the rest of his life. Well, why were they running in the first place? Because back then, in those times, whenever one king took over the throne of another king... It was common practice to have the former king's entire family wiped out, just killed, because that ensured that none of them would incite rebellions later on to try to take back the throne for their family. Well, some of David didn't want to do this. That was not how he was going to operate as king. But some of his men assumed that that was what needed to happen because that's just what nations did in situations like this and so they went out and they killed another one of Saul's sons along with the commanders that he was over and when David found out about it he had his own men killed for doing that because David didn't want that but Mephibosheth didn't know that and he just assumed that if he was found he would be killed like always happens. Mephibosheth grows up into adulthood. I mean, by this time, he's already got a, a child of his own. And so we'll pick up the story with verse 1 of 2 Samuel 9. <clears throat> then David said, Is there yet anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Zeba, and they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Zeba? And he said, I am your servant. The king said, Is there not yet anyone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is crippled in both feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Behold, he is in the house of Mature, the son of Amiel and Lodabar. Then king David sent and brought him from the house of Mature, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Now, think just for a minute. What do you think Mephibosheth thought or felt when he saw these king's men coming to his house, knocked on his door, and said, King David is looking for you. You're exposed. He would have thought, oh no. Because this was the day that he had been dreading all of his life. He was found out, he was exposed which was very bad news to him. Verse 6, Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he said, here is your servant. He falls on his face because he's scared to death. It was a sign of of asking for mercy to spare his life. Verse 7, David said to him, Do not fear. For I will surely show kindness to you for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and will restore to you all the land of your grandfather, Saul, and you shall eat at my table regularly. Again, he prostrated himself and said, What is your servant that you should regard a dead dog like me? Even though David had just given him the best news of all, it didn't quite register with Mephibosheth because the news sounded too good to be true. Which is what I often say is exactly what the gospel is. He still thought that him being exposed was a shameful, fearful thing. Why? Because he misunderstood the heart of the king. He believed something wrong about what David was like. Something he believed about the king that just wasn't true. Let's read on. He says in verse 9 Then the king called Saul's servant Zebah and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. You and your sons and your servants shall cultivate the land for him, and you shall bring in the produce so that your master's grandson may have food. Nevertheless, Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall eat at my table regularly. Now Zebah had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so your servant will do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table as one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in the house of Ziba were servants to Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate at the king's table regularly. Now he was lame in both feet. The king didn't just spare his life. He restored to him all that he had lost as a member of Saul's royal family and made him a member of David's royal family. This is a picture of the gospel. And it is a picture of the ongoing process of God molding us more into the image of Christ. You see, David removed everything about Mephibosheth's life that did not reflect the way that David saw him as a royal son. He saw him as a royal son, and so he removed everything that didn't reflect that. He removed the fear, he removed the shame, he removed the poverty, the self-reliance, everything that did not match the way that David saw him, he removed that from his life. God exposes things in us that don't line up and don't match the way that he sees us in Christ. He exposes those things in order to lead us into good things the way Mephibosheth got led into here. Not things that we need to be afraid or ashamed about. Think about this. Because of what Mephibosheth believed about David, him finally being exposed, bad news to him. But what if he had known the truth about David and what David thought about him? What if he knew that David wanted to take all these negative things out of his life and move him into the palace and make him a son? Had he known that, before those men came and exposed him, what do you think his response would have been when they said, the king's looking for you? Yes! Yes! It would have been good news to him because he'd have been walking in the truth about who the king is. When God exposes things in your heart, if that is not good news to you, then you've believed in a shallow gospel. You've misunderstood the heart of the king. Now then, how exactly does God expose these things in us? I'm sure we could probably come up with several ways, but there's two primary ways that I want to point out today. I think these are by far the two most common ways, and they both go together. The first one listed there in the notes is circumstances or situations. You know, we've talked many times about how God will often lead us into certain situations that may be difficult, but he does it in order to expose things in us. These things cause certain things to rise up in us, come to the surface from our heart like gold being refined by fire. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that comes upon you for your testing, as if some strange thing were happening to you. And again, testing there does not mean pass fail kind of test. It means refining. And let me just say that one of the primary circumstances or situations that God uses to do this is a situation of marriage. And I've told you all before how coming to this realization was a huge turning point in Carol's and mine relationship. The first part of our marriage was absolutely brutal. And we did not like each other at all. And if, I mean, our differences just caused things to rise up for sure. And uh, our love grew cold. And I'm telling you right now, if it wasn't for Jesus, we'd have given up on it a long time ago. But through counseling, I learned something that changed everything. The counselor pointed out to me that God was using her as a tool in his hand to mold me into who he saw me as in Christ. That he was using the differences and the things in her that I didn't like to expose things in me that God wanted to deal with, heal, transform, remove. And so from then on, I no longer saw her as the enemy who was making me miserable, but as the tool in the hands of a loving God who was molding me into the image of his son. And it was a lot easier to fall in love with that than it was with the enemy that I saw her as before. And the same thing happened with her. And it was just, I mean, it was completely transformation of our marriage. That's what marriage does. But the problem comes when we fail to acknowledge that. And we think our spouse is the one that needs to change rather than us. No, thing is that God put you two together because he knew that your spouse was the perfect thing for him to use to bring things out in you that he wants to transform and lead you into good things and mold you into the person that he created you to be. But even if you're not married, God uses other situations that does this, that brings things up in us that he wants to deal with but situations alone aren't enough to make us aware of what is being exposed that's why it is imperative that we have the next thing number two is relationships it's that community that I talk about so much that God desires for his people to live in and why do we need relationships in order to be able to to see the things that God is exposing in us It's because human beings are horrible at self-diagnosis. We are. We stink at it. No good at all. We need an outside source to diagnose things in our life that we can't see. It's just the way God designed us. The book of Proverbs talks about this in several verses. In 1215 it says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. 1531, he whose ear listens to the life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. 1512, a scoffer does not love one who reproves him. And 121, he who hates reproof is stupid. (laughs) What do you really think about that, God? (laughs) That's what it says there. I did not translate that into modern-day language myself. If we want God to to search our heart, to expose those things that don't reflect Him, things that keep us from living the abundant life that He said that He did come to give us, then we need to pursue community with one another, with other believers. And so the first step in that is just developing relationships that are deep enough and strong enough to be able to invite someone to speak into our lives and point out things that may be in our blind spot. And then the second step is that we have to be willing to listen to them, because it's one thing to invite someone to speak into your life; it's another thing to acknowledge whatever it is they're saying they're seeing. I mean, a lot of times I've seen people. Yes, please tell me, please speak into my life and say, "Well, this is what I'm seeing." No, it's not. How dare you say that? I'm, okay, you ask me. Our flesh doesn't like that at all. And so if you're going through a difficult situation, tell a close friend about it. And ask him, say, hey, I'm going through this. Man, what are you seeing God, God bringing to light here? What are you seeing rising up in me the way I'm responding to this situation? What's coming to the surface? What do you think God's trying to show me here? The Bible says that those who do that are very wise. A fool refuses the counsel. Of a brother or sister. Now there is a third way. Actually should be number one. It's actually the most important. And I don't know why I didn't include it here. I guess I was thinking it. You know, Just assumed everybody knew. That it didn't need to be said. But I remember yes it does need to be said. The m- primary way God exposes things in our heart. Is through his word. I mean Hebrews 4.12 says. The word of God is sharper than any two edged sword. And able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And so if you don't have God's word, the other two circumstances and relationships, they're they're not going to do a whole lot for you. It's God's word that primarily does that. And all three of these work hand in hand together, and they are all sources that are outside of ourselves that we need desperately, because like I said, we are terrible at self-diagnosis. I mean, just think about your own physical body. When you're sick there's a persistent pain or something's not working right. What do we do? We go to an outside source. We need someone else to tell us what is wrong with us. And if we can't even self-diagnose our own physical bodies, how in the world do we expect to properly diagnose something as deep and as complex and mysterious as the heart? There ain't no way. We need each other to do that. We need God's word. And when we see what God is exposing, what we do then is first we acknowledge it, come into agreement with what God is saying to us, and then repent. Just as Danny said last week, repentance is something that we should celebrate, not something that we should be ashamed about. Ongoing repentance is part of the sanctification process. Without it, there is no growth should have made that one of the points so you'll remember. Without repentance, ongoing repentance, there is no spiritual growth. And the last point in your notes is this. Repentance is required when we try to live from who we were instead of who we are in Christ. When we try to live from who we were instead of who we are in in Christ, Those are the things that God is exposing. Repentance is aligning what we say, do, and believe. Aligning that with what God says, does, and believes about us. And know this, repentance is not just a change in behavior. It's a complete and total change in, in thinking as well. And so this is what I'm hearing the Lord say as we set out on a new year. So I'm encouraging you, let's approach this year willing to be exposed by coming to the light of Jesus embracing our circumstances as God's refining process in us pursuing deeper relationships with one another in order to be able to speak into one another's lives and doing all of this knowing that when God exposes things in our heart it is good news because it is his love at work making us into the people that he created us to be amen let's pray God, you are good, and so often we we do misunderstand you. Assume that you are one way when you are not at all. Lord, you wanting to remove things from our hearts. Lord, it is your love in action. Because it's keeping us from what you know is best. Lord, I know we have believed in lies, not just about who you are, but about what is best. So we hang on to things that that aren't your best for us. And Lord, I pray that today as we start this new year, Lord, you would just bring those things to somebody's mind right now and say, just let those go. Let those go. That's not what I have for you. That is not good for you. Let them go and turn to me. Lord, I pray that we would all have the attitude and the desire to search me, oh God, and know my heart. Search me, know my anxious thoughts, see if there be wicked or hurtful way in me. Lead me in the path of righteousness, of what is right and true that reflects and honors you. So Lord, I pray that it does start with me. Here I am, Lord. Do with me what you will. Give us the wisdom, God, to be able to listen to what others, of your people, are, are speaking into us. And Lord, let we speak into others' lives. It, 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 let it be our love that motivates us to do that. Or sometimes we're afraid to do it because that's not love. Afraid of hurting somebody's feelings. Afraid of creating... Lord... Love goes and helps those who we see in trouble. So, Lord, I pray that we would all be able to walk this out. Just practicing, just living out the gospel with one another in this way. So, Lord, I pray this year would be marked with repentance and true spiritual growth. And you would be glorified through it, Lord, that others would see that you are alive and well here. So Holy Spirit, would you come and would you just make all this real in us? Do what I can't in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.